0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Bluewire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Filato, here to break down some New York Giants football for you during this time of the offseason with training camp on the way, but still a few weeks away. We decided we'd take a break from our team previews today and do a little fun exercise. Nick for Big Blue View broke down his version of the all-NFC East team, both on offense and defense. We're gonna dive into that. I had a lot of fun doing those. Back during my days with 24-7 sports when I strictly covered the Giants, I always found it fun to do the all-MC's teams and see where the Giants shook out. The days I did it, the Giants were seemingly even worse than what they are now. I mean, the Giants roster looks good in my mind heading into the season with the exception of some key spots that we've discussed in length, but the roster has never looked this good in the past when I did it, so not many Giants made my list. A lot of Giants made Nick's list. We'll see if I agree or disagree with those selections. Coming up, but before we do that, Nick, how was your Fourth of July weekend, man?
2: It was fun, man. You know, just getting together with good people, having some brewski's. well not really beer, but you know, whiskey. Definitely did not have (laughs) whiskey. Whiskey, whiskey, I should say. Whiskey and diets, and uh, it was just—it was a good time, though. You know, I didn't get to see. I really didn't get to see uh, the fire. I didn't think I saw any fireworks. So, Uh,
1: yeah, actually, fireworks. First of all, here's a small take on fireworks because I don't want to devote too much time to it. I find them pretty overrated. I think they're a little bit overrated as well. They're not that fun. They're not that cool. The best one I think I've seen was when like in San Diego there was like a something went wrong with the fireworks or like the timing went off and all of them went off at once. That was the coolest fireworks. The only good redeeming fireworks I think I've ever seen and it was online on a video recorded.
2: So I actually grew up across the street from a a festival that would happen every summer and they would always have fireworks to like you know culminate the festival. So it would always like every year they would would do this twice a year in my hometown which is like crazy to think about the amount of money they probably dedicated to it but it was always something to look forward to but I would agree it's more about the festival than it was about the fireworks which was just the ending of it but it was a huge like Italian festival kind of Mm. thing that, that my town would have and it was really really cool.
1: Nice. I think with fireworks it's like it's not only the town made ones that I'm not that big on it's just like overall the idea like I never thought yeah. it was that cool to like go out of state to Pennsylvania where they're legal no, and like no, pick no, up man. a bunch sneak them in your car hope you don't get pulled over by the <laughs> cops who are like waiting on the border is that like you always heard those rumors like if you do it the cops are waiting on the border to pull people over and arrest them for the fireworks they're bringing back but like I just never found them that fun I mean also you know the JPP story obviously gave me my reservations I was like I don't want to JPP myself I, I have no idea what I'm doing with these fireworks
2: oh yeah I was Never one to to light light them off like that. But I don't even know if you heard, man, a goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets actually died in a fireworks accident oh this weekend. Yeah, that's it's horrendous, man. That Just is a kid, terrible. you know? That's awful.
1: Um, yeah, fireworks are dangerous, but if you enjoy them, God bless. I saw a few fireworks on my way driving home. I actually had a long mini vacation, my first mini vacation since Vegas, and my only vacation basically since the pandemic, um, and before that even, I drove up to Massachusetts to hang out with one of my best friends from childhood, Ben Brosh. Shout out Benny Brosh. Check yeah. out his music on Spotify. Really good musician and coming up in this musician world. But it was him, his girlfriend, and it was supposed to be her friend Claire, who I was excited to meet, but it turned into a wild and wacky weekend because our plan was to go camping. I had never been camping in my life before, Nick. It was gonna be my first time camping. You take a little Jew boy out of the suburbs, Dan Schneider, <laughs> and you send him up into the woods in Massachusetts, or New Hampshire. We were driving to New Hampshire. But what ended up happening was, and going in, I was like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm excited to camp. I like nature. I like outdoors. We're planning a hike. There was a lake there. It was going to be a great time. It was summer. It was July 4th. And I had no idea what I was doing camping. So they're like, all you have to do is buy this. Buy this one thing. We have everything else covered. So I'm like, good. That's great. This sounds like a great time. So we get up there and we start to look at the, by the way, the whole entire summer, Nick, let me just say the whole entire summer has been 95 degrees, sunny every day. I feel like it's been unbelievable weather, but maybe at times too hot. It's been a drought almost in some ways. I feel like we've almost had a drought. And yet for this one weekend, Nick, where we got the last camp, we felt so lucky to get the last campsite reserved. It was a good campsite. It was cool. This one weekend, man, it was brutal, dude. Brutal three and a half inches of rain on saturday we were there we had to we were gonna go i drove up wednesday night we're gonna go thursday friday saturday we gave up on thursday because it was so rainy we just gave up we're like all right let's just hang out around here and do other things (laughs) went there anyway on friday in the morning got there set up the tent put up two pop-ups over the tent to try to like block the rain out and Friday was raining the entire time. There wasn't an ounce of sun. I mean, like, not even a, a little peek through of sun. There were times we could hang outside and it wasn't as rainy, but then Saturday brought an onslaught. So in the middle of this camping trip, I won't get too deep into this because it was mostly just drinking and game board games and card games within the tent, but at 1.45 a.m. on Saturday, the tent absolutely just... I wake up, and <laughs> inside the tent, there's we had, like, a little, like, a pop-up... Um, Table to put some like phones, whatever, lantern on, topples over. So I'm like, oh, is this all right? And like my friend Ben, like drunkenly, because we had gotten hammered that night, had drunkenly in his sleep. Yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Next thing I know, Carlin, Ben's girlfriend, is like, um, The tent has collapsed on my face. We get up, it's leaking water on both sides. We realize a pole had snapped off the tent because the top pop-off was taking so much water on that the weight of the water, which we were dumping periodically during the day, but at night, it was like a huge storm coming and just had collapsed it in on itself. So we had to emergency evacuate camp at 1 a.m we had to pack up the entire tent everything that was an hour-long process in the pouring rain and then drive an hour and a half back we got back to his apartment at 5 a.m so it was a wild camping experience not my best first camping experience feel a little disappointed but i still had a great time because i was a really good company i mean ben lifelong best friend of mine like i literally enjoy spending any time with him and his girlfriend carlin is arguably one of the most wonderful people i've ever met just being in her presence at all times is great and i feel like just hanging out with those two had a good time even though claire didn't make it out we were expecting to one of their friends but it was wild man so i was driving back and here was the redeeming part of the trip though nick so you'll like
2: this. i was gonna say this sounds like a camping story to me <laughs> yeah, like it
1: was ruined by rain it was horrendous it was miserable but you
2: know it was actually kind of a good time you
1: kind of got a good time and <laughs> on the way back i was like i'll break up my trip by going to get some of this famous new haven pizza so i don't know if you heard about this but new haven connecticut is supposed to have the best pizza in the country some people like myself were very skeptical of that having grown up in the new jersey new york area i've been to my favorite place in new york in brooklyn actually DeFara pizza i think it's the best slice of pizza i thought it was the best slice of pizza. Oh. I, it's not sure if I, I'm... I'll, I'll get to that. But I've also, you know, even just like some of the simple things like John's on Bleeker, another great spot in New York. And New Jersey has some great spots too. We talked about Star Tavern on the last podcast. Angeloni's is really good in New Jersey. There's a lot of really good pizza, but I had to try this New Haven style. It's supposed to be different. It's supposed to be the best. So get there. My friend told me the best one, according to the, you know, according to the mainstream is, Don Pe- is, is Pepe's. But... But he said Sally's is actually the best. And then somebody else told me Modern up uh, modern Pizza is the best. So I had three options going in Nick Driving there, on my way back, trying to call Sally's for a pickup order. Calling, calling, busy, busy, busy. I finally get through to them, and it's like an hour past when my ETA was. So I'm like, got to give up on this then modern not even picking up their phone like i couldn't even get through them finally when you get through it was like it went to like a voicemail where like they're like oh you got to type in an access code and I don't have an access code to get pizza so i gave up on modern as well and i was like you know what, let me just go to Pepe, see what happens. They told me it was a 45-minute takeout, but maybe if I go in-store. And so I waited online, got in-store, got this pizza, man. And I gotta be honest, dude, I just got the, the regular tomato mozzarella pizza. That's how I judge pizza. I wanna go plain. But obviously, I ordered it well done. And I gotta be honest, man, it lived up to the hype for me. This is, in my opinion, the best slice of pizza now I've ever had. And maybe it's specific to taste buds, Nick, because I think what makes it so good is that it's the coal fire, it's cooked in a coal fire, so it has that nice char and crunch to it, and the dough has that really good char and crunch. But it's a combo of that and then the sauce. The sauce has this incredible tang to it and just an absolutely excellent flavor to it. And I asked the waitress, like what? What's the deal? Like, cause I told her like this lived up to the hype. I I think a lot of it is the char and the coal fire cooking, but it's the sauce too. The sauce is unbelievable. She's like, yeah. The, anyone who works here has to sign an N D A or N D A N D A. Sorry, not N D A. Sounds NDA. like a,
2: like a hip hop band. <laughs> yeah, N-D-A.
1: NDA. <laughs> an N D A. Sorry to to work here and not give away that sauce recipe. So, Pepe's. New Haven, unbelievable pizza. Nick, I brought some back and I stopped by and gave you some. Have you tried it yet? Do you plan to try it? Were you lying about trying it? Are you just trying to make the fans kind of feel <laughs> better about you? What, what's the deal?
2: No, nah, no. Nah. So I haven't tried it yet, but I've been really busy with work and I'm going to have okay. I'm going to have at least a bite. Maybe you're, two. You're, you're going to
1: have, have a minimum two bites? Is that the or minimum one potentially two? Yes, yes. What's the ceiling of bites for you? You eat a whole slice. Probably not,
2: but I'll... I'll What's I'll good. indulge.
1: I'll indulge. With you them. won't eat a whole slice. I'm going to say this. Whoever you're with then at the time, if you're not going to eat a whole slice, make sure that person eats the rest of that pizza. That pizza better not go in the garbage. That slice, oh, if you're no. only going to have a bite yeah. or two, the rest of that slice must be I'm, I'm not a
2: wasteful person, so okay. I, I would I would ensure that whomever so, I live yeah, with. Yeah. Someone
1: has to eat that pizza then because that can't go in the garbage. But you know what? After you get back to me, have your bite, have your two bites, whatever it may be, let me know what you think of this pizza because I don't know if you're the best frame of reference for it since you don't regularly eat pizza and by regularly I mean you just don't eat it at all. Yeah, i would be a terrible
2: frame of reference to be honest. But at
1: the same time, you should know what tastes good. You should at some point in your life have enjoyed pizza. Like I can't imagine. 13 to 17 to 18 year old nick flotta was this obsessed no, no, with health
2: no i can't imagine no. there was I was, not, seen, I was eating whatever
1: i wanted you must have been now. eating pizza back in the day so let me know what you think but let's talk some giants football now let's transition let's get away from the Fords of jolly weekend it was a great time and i did see some fireworks driving home which was actually pretty cool by the way i'm not a huge fireworks guy but i will say while driving into fireworks not bad especially when you see all different towns doing them probably saw like four different ones but let's talk the nfc east all nfc's team heading into 2021 I'm going to start on the offensive side of the ball. Let's start at the quarterback position. Let's see if we have any differences. Go with your quarterback on the all-NFC team. I feel like this one's going to be an obvious one.
2: Yeah, it's Daniel Jones. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) It's Dak Prescott. Yeah, I mean, coming off the injury and everything, it's just everything that he showed last season. Dak Prescott's a legit quarterback, and I think you could probably take away things that you saw for 2018, 2019 from Dak Prescott and still kind of come away with that. I think – there was always this argument between is it Carson Wentz or is it Dak Prescott and it kind of flip-flop because after 2017 it was like oh man Carson Wentz I mean he had that MVP type season got injured the Eagles went on and they won the Super Bowl and then 2018-2019 it kind of was a flip-flop but I remember a buddy of mine Michael Kist who writes about the Eagles he came out I believe it was before last season or it might have been before 2019 wrote an article saying that Dak Prescott was the best quarterback in the division and the Eagles fans just ate him alive like how could you say that about Carson Wentz and they've just ate him, you know what I'm saying? But it turned out Kiss was proven right because Dak Prescott was a much better quarterback in that specific situation than Carson Wentz. We'll see what Carson Wentz can do in Indianapolis. But just looking at everybody else in this division, you're talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick, Daniel Jones, and Jalen Hurts. I mean, it there really isn't a competition. I think Dak Prescott's the easy one.
1: Yeah. No disagreement here for me. It's Dak Prescott as well for my all NFC East quarterback. Prescott's such an interesting player for me because I was on the side of the debate at that time where it was I was on the Carson Wentz and it's not even close side of the bait and what Prescott has taught me I I, I try to learn a lot and take away a lot from you know following this game and analyzing this game and I'm always open to changing my opinions on things and I never felt like Prescott could ever get to the level he got to and he's really changed my opinion of how much a quarterback can improve at the next level and Josh Allen is another example of someone who's really taken to well to coaching and improved as a player. Mm-hmm. But Josh Allen's so different than Prescott because Josh Allen might be the most naturally gifted arm talent, size, speed quarterback in the NFL. And if you're just taking away arm talent and adding in size, speed, all of those things, he might be even more gifted than Mahomes. He doesn't have Mahomes' as arm talent in my mind, from just like the touch and all those. And arm talent, obviously I mean the ability to change trajectory, speed on the ball, touch accuracy ball placement but when you factor in his velocity on those tight window throws and obviously his size and speed Allen may be the most talented and so Prescott is different than that because I don't really feel like he has a lot of natural arm talent but he's done a lot of work with his lower body his hips his flexibility getting drive from his base and from his core and he's really improved his accuracy in a lot of ways if you watch his film from that first season when the Giants went I believe 11 and 5 in 2016 and Dak won the division He wasn't that good of a quarterback he was missing throws regularly and that was why i wasn't high on him at that point and i was easily went over dak his accuracy has really improved which i didn't think was exactly possible but josh allen's another example And more importantly, he's just moved so fast forward when it comes to the mental processing. You look at some of the breakdowns that you've seen from guys who do all 22 breakdowns on Twitter, and they just show how good of a job Dak does right before the snap, key third down situations, diagnosing the blitz and diagnosing where he's going to get his best matchup, and then finding that matchup and throwing the football accurately there. So at this point, I don't even think it's a competition. Dak Prescott is by far and away the best quarterback in this division, and it's a good reason why if you want to make a bet on the division, you can bet on the Cowboys because you can look at all. All the things, the roster, the offensive line, the defensive line for all four of these teams. But in the end, football is mostly a sport about the quarterbacks, especially if there's a massive edge. And because the Cowboys have such a massive edge, they will be in the mix to win the division. And I can totally understand a team picking uh, or a person picking them to win the division.
2: And the defense is going to be better as well with Dan Quinn there, as opposed to uh, Mike Nolan last year, where it was just horrendous. Yes. So that's it's not something I'm looking forward to. Dallas potentially returning to the you know positive win rate team that can win this division. But let's hope the Giants can you know steal two of those wins and hopefully take over the Cowboys from winning that division because that would suck, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember, like the Cowboys. No, <laughs> and remember the
1: Giants didn't. The Giants beat the Cowboys last year. The Giants beat the Cowboys with Andy Dalton. People seem to keep forgetting. Everybody yeah. who talks about all this progress the Giants made last year seem to forget that four of the wins they had were against quarterbacks who won't be starting in 2021. Four of the six wins are against quarterbacks who will not be starting in 2021.
2: And that's why I say, like, we we all expect the defense to kind of live up to the yes. 2020. And I think the personnel's there, and I really trust Patrick Ram. There's a lot of things going for him, but it's not a given, bro. No. It's not a given. So we just have to keep that in our minds.
1: Yeah. And they just and there's still a lot of progress to be made. They still have to beat Dak. So let's get to the running backs position where you have two backs. And who were the two backs you went with that running back?
2: Honestly, I think I would maybe change this. It was so close for the second back. The first one, I did go with Saquon Barkley coming off the injury. Uh, I don't really know if that's just homer. For me, it's just straight his home run ability, his big playability. I definitely want him to be one of those two backs. And the next one, I'd probably change. And I, I could see myself flip-flopping by the day. But I ended up going with Miles Sanders because of his elusiveness and because he I think he could be a good third down back. I don't think he would be as good as Antonio Gibson, though, because I really, really trust antonio gibson that's the one that i really really struggle with but ezekiel elliott you also want to consider but the way i constructed this roster was to build it like an actual team so i wanted someone who could be more of a third down back that's why i chose saquon over zeke so i kind of just put zeke to the side and i was like between antonio gibson and Miles sanders who am i gonna go with i went with the dual penn state backfield with Miles sanders but honestly man i I have i have this affinity for antonio gibson that makes me kind of sort of regret it a little bit yeah, it's interesting because if you're, I think there's two ways to interpret. If
1: you're doing an all NFC East team, I think it's different than if you're doing the best possible team using NFCs players. Absolutely, because you're right. If you're doing the best possible team using NFCs player, or I'm sorry, not the best possible, team, like the best possible actual team to win games, let's say using NFC. Because then, yeah, I don't know if I want. And then I'm looking for like a third down type back to pair it with a Barkley type. But if I'm just doing the best players. I would definitely put Ezekiel Elliott in there, Saquon and Zeke, because I still think Zeke, despite playing through an injury last year, and if he's healthy this year, he'll prove it again, is probably the best pure running back in this division. And I don't think it's really close as far as setting up his blocks, as far as accelerating in and out of between the tackles. Now, Saquon Barkley is the most talented running back in this division. Saquon Barkley has the most home run ability. I would take Saquon Barkley over Zeke in a heartbeat because I think he can give you chunk plays and that's what the game's all about. And I still think he has untapped potential as a receiver.
2: Especially. Especially in this offense with Jason Garrett, too. We yeah. were looking for explosive plays. Need explosive yeah, plays. need explosive plays, and Saquon can deliver that.
1: But at the same time, if we're just talking pure runner, and that just means, you know, between the tackles and what the old school, you know, idea of what a running back would be. I still think it's Zeke, and for that reason, he'd be in there for me. If I'm just doing it the way you describe, looking for a third down passing down back, I'm going to take Gibson over Sanders as well. I don't really like Sanders on passing downs. I'm not as big on Sanders in general. I think he's got some home run ability. And I think he was held back a little bit by that offense for sure. But I never was a huge fan of him coming out of Penn State. And I just haven't seen it all put all together at this next level. He'd be four on the list for me. But I'd probably go Gibson if we're doing the best possible team to win games. And I, but all MCs for me would be Zeke still. And I still think Zeke is going to have a really good bounce back season.
2: Yeah, I think I would go Gibson if I were to rewrite it. But on this one, uh, on that day when I wrote this, I went with Miles Sanders. <laughs> and I might even
1: say honorable mention Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard is really freaking good. Like, if you look at some of the advanced stats, Tony Pollard had the best elusive rating in the NFL. He, on a per-touch basis, was one of the best running backs in the NFL, just from that standpoint. And I think he could be
2: in the mix as well. Yeah, if I went with, like, a, a third back that isn't a starting back for mm-hmm. this team, then it would definitely be. Yeah. I don't even think anybody else would really rival it. I mean, J.D. McKissick is a nice little player, but I, to me, Tony Pollard is a much better running back than J.D. McKissick, who's a good receiver.
1: Right. Exactly. All right, let's go to the receivers. Who you got at the receivers?
2: So I broke this down. We have four wide receivers, and I just went with the good old uh, lettered XZ slot and then a fourth receiver just to kind of fill the void. The X I went with, Kenny Galladay, I feel like he's more of that prototypical type X, best contested catch type of receiver. In probably the NFC East, there's another guy on this list who may be able to rival that, and that's the slot, C.D. Lamb. I just put him in the slot just because the Cowboys were so effective using three-by-one sets with him as that number three receiver. Sadly, Darnay Holmes learned that, the Giants safety's learned that's going to be a problem for them and I think Aaron Robinson hopefully could be somewhat of an answer but CD Lamb is so talented Yeah, he's
1: not going to be an answer he'll be a yeah, better answer a better answer because yeah, Darnay Dar- got
2: picked on a little bit uh last year in the slot against CD Lamb but that's going to happen because Lamb has the potential yeah. to be one of the better receivers in the National Football League easily and then for their Z I went with another Cowboys receiver amari cooper one of the better route runners just so refined and so quick with his feet and his hips and sinking his hips and getting in and out of breaks i think he's just a really really talented receiver that we somewhat forget about sometimes it sucks that he's on the dallas cowboys and then the fourth receiver i went with terry McLaurin because i think terry McLaurin is one of the better intermediate type of route runners on those digs on those horizontal crosses and i think he's just underrated because he's been in somewhat of a bad situation since he entered the nfl playing with the Washington football team I think him and Ryan Fitzpatrick could develop a nice rapport they also added Diami Brown to be the vertical threat they added Curtis Samuel to be kind of that short around the line of scrimmage sw- uh, threat and that really should open up some better throwing windows for Terry McLaurin in the middle of the field And I think that's a really really solid fourth receiver to to have if this theoretical team was real yeah I think that just
1: looking at it like this and going over this now Washington's really done a really good job of adding talent to the mix at uh, the scale positions. They're gonna they've it's kind of been under the radar there off season because the Giants get a lot of fanfare and you know, even from the national media for what they did in the offseason. And I'm never big on winning in the offseason, especially free agency, but it does help and sometimes you have to do it. The Giants were one of those teams. But Washington Loki did that as well. As far as your receivers go, I have no qualms. I think I'm spot I think every single one is the one I would go with here. I think the thing with Cooper is we haven't really even seen a fully healthy Cooper in a long time. He's been playing through injuries for the past two or three seasons—foot injuries, Liz Frank—which slows you down. If he ever gets back a fully healthy season, like gets an Ingram season like last year, where he's just lucky with injuries, he's gonna be really—he's gonna be one of the best receivers in the NFL because, like you said. He can sink his hips. To me, he's like McLaurin's like the light version of him. And I think McLaurin's unbelievable for the same reason. I don't even think he's just an intermediate guy. I just think Washington had no quarterback to get him the ball deep because I think he can use his route running to win. Both of these guys are like Antonio Brown-esque in their ability to just, like you said, sink their hips, get in and out of their breaks so smoothly, so quickly, creating separation with ease against any corner. And so I love both of these players. It's a stacked, loaded wide receiver cast when you consider Lamb and Galladay as well. I don't think if they keep Lamb in the slot, and they probably will with Gallup there, I don't think anyone's going to match up against him this year. And Robinson, good pick, third round pick. He's not matching up with CD Lamb in the slot. Like, he could do better job than Holmes because Holmes got totally destroyed there, but he's not going to do that much better. And most of the time, anyway. As far as the numbers go and the stats, if you look at the advanced stats, Lamb was facing zone coverage anyway in the slot. So it's not like they're doing you're going to see too many man matchups. The Giants may try it. I'm not sure if they even will. It's probably not a good idea. I don't really think any slot corner can match up in man against Lamb, but we'll see. We'll see how teams play it. But yeah, I like this wide receiver group a lot. Let's move on to the tight ends. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. all right let's talk about the tight ends who do you have on your list for your all nfc east team tight ends
2: yeah so dallas doesn't really have like any like potent tight ends so i kind of just didn't really consider them because you got the dalton schultz and the blake jarwins of the world now if they got kyle pitts that'd be a totally different story and then you have pro bowler evan ingram but i did not select him so i went with two tight ends and then in the end of the article i was like if the ju- if this theoretical team is going to run a 13 personnel package i put kyle rudolph as that third but he didn't necessarily make this list the two that made the list were dallas goddard and logan thomas both more receiving type of tight ends But I believe that just because there aren't really any great blocking tight ends within this division, I went in this direction because I think (laughs) you can really spread the team out and get them in the slot. Both those guys are really, really good in space, especially Logan Thomas, who was a former quarterback, transitioned to tight end with the Arizona Cardinals, and he had a really, really good year this past season. I'm not sure how many targets he's going to see this year with all the new additions that the Washington football team added. But... I wanted to kind of just go with both of these guys because I think they have a lot of capabilities. They're big bodies. They can get in the way. They're not great blockers, but there aren't a lot of great blockers at the tight end position anyway. That's why the tight end position is yeah. so difficult uh, to begin with. So I went with these two over someone like an Evan Ingram just because I feel like they're much more efficient than Evan.
1: Yeah. Tight ends, another position on your list I have no qualms with. It's my exact two that I would go with. I think Dallas Goddard is the clear 1-1. One, one. In this division, I think he's by far yeah. and away the best-receiving tight end. And like you said, there are, we don't need to talk about two-way tight ends because there really aren't any in this division. Rudolph is kind of, quote-unquote, a two-way tight end, but... In my mind, not really. I think his blocking is a bit overrated from everything I've started reading and looking into. He's become a better blocker. Last year was his best blocking season with Minnesota. He started to finally click and get it, but he was never a great blocker for the majority of his career. So I don't see any true two-way tight ends in this division, but Goddard is by far and away, in my opinion, the best receiving tight end in this division. He's smooth with his route running. And honestly, last year, there was a lot of yards left on the field that he should have had, but Carson Wentz did a really poor job of getting him the football on time, over the top. And I think this year, especially if they do go ahead and trade Zach Ertz to uh Buffalo and by the way, I wouldn't put Ertz on this list because I don't think Ertz is that good of a tight end. I was never a huge Ertz fan. I thought he was a solid pretty solid route runner, but I thought most of his fanfare came from just the fact that he had seasons where he had like 160 targets, which was just the only option in the offense. And a lot of those were like quick hitting 6-yard stuff that I just don't find that good. And I've never been an Ertz fan, so I wouldn't put him on the list even if he stays with the eagles but i go goddard and then i go logan thomas i think you're right the regression is coming i wouldn't target thomas in fantasy Not even though that. i like like everything he's done like he came in as a quarterback they're like you're gonna have to convert to tight end it's your only chance that's hard to do you convert to a whole new position where you're playing quarterback and yet i think he sees the field well because he played quarterback he's got a huge body he's great in the red zone he's a pretty smooth mover for his size he's a big boy i think six six and so I like, I like him as a prospect still growing and playing, but I feel like with all the weapons they added, he's a trap in fantasy, if you will. So I'm with you there. Let's move on to the offensive line where we might finally get some disagreements because we haven't had, I don't think we've had any disagreements besides running back so far.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the offensive line, so we start with the tackles and both these guys have been injured a lot of their careers, not really as much Lane Johnson, who is the right tackle, but the left tackle has really been dinged up. But when he's healthy... He's one of the best tackles in the league, and that's Tyron Smith, Dallas Cowboys. I went with him on the left side, Lane Johnson on the right side, and I feel just from an overall upside and skill set standpoint, they are clearly the two best tackles in the league. I mean, in the NFC East, but it's just a little bit hard to, to kind of put them out there because Tyron Smith gets injured, Lane Johnson dealt with a lot of injuries last year, but if you just watch Lane Johnson, he just looks different out there, man. He's so big, like his legs and his butt like are just so gigantic and he just generates so much power through it he's one of my favorite probably so we could right we could clip that out of yeah. context and it. oh could, absolutely <laughs> it could go back like, drop it drop it no, <laughs> drop it but <laughs> but uh he's one of the my favorite right tackles to yeah. watch to be honest every time I are watching the all 22 when he's going up against it like he does such a good job sealing the edge getting up to the second level locating in space he's a phenomenal offensive lineman that was drafted i think fourth overall out of oklahoma so those would be my two tackles, and I think it's uh, I think it, I think that's the, uh, the duo right there.
1: Yeah, Lane was actually like the first of that new breed Oklahoma offensive lineman. Oklahoma wasn't producing many. Mm-hmm. Big name offensive lineman. Trent Williams. While. Trent Williams yeah. as well. But they but that was kind of in between them. There wasn't much there coming out of that offensive line. Now you got the Creed Humphreys. Now you're starting to get, you know, uh, Ford, the kid who Buffalo got who's pretty good, Cody Ford. And so these are the picks. These are my picks as well Tyron Smith and Lane Johnson. I have more confidence in Lane Johnson right now than I do Tyron Smith. And I think this is going to lead to my overall bigger discussion on the position. Tyron Smith's entering his age 30 season, but, which
2: is insane. I which think-
1: is insane because he feels like he's played forever. Yeah. But but he also has dealing with a lot of different injuries than Lane Johnson so I feel more confident about Lane despite him entering his age 31 season because his injuries haven't been the same kind they haven't been the reoccurring ones Tyron Smith has a back injury that keeps popping up for him and I don't know if that's just going to go away there's been times I've read articles like this is something that he thinks will be with him the rest of his career. He didn't get surgery on. it, can't get surgery on a back. It's not something you want to do. So I think it really shows that these guys are entering age 30 and age 31 seasons that exchanging of the guard could be coming at tackle. There is room for growth for a player like you put Andrew Thomas as your swing offensive lineman here. We'll give a little spoiler there. Or, you know, anyone who comes up within the division, a young offensive lineman, because these guys are getting older. Tyron, I think some Cowboys fans are like, it doesn't matter that he's only entering age 30. This guy's not someone who's going to play like Andrew Whitworth style, age age 37, age 38, because Whitworth never had major injuries. Back is bad. Like the back reoccurring for Tyron is bad. I think Lane is a little bit different, his injuries. So I think Lane comes back this year. Even age 31 is once again, what you just said, one of the most dominant, if not the most dominant right tackles in the NFL but Tyron I feel like the the page could be turning here and I feel like the Cowboys themselves might know that
2: and that's the problematic part about putting him on the list because I did this I compiled this list for next season this is going into 2021 not just of what they did in the past so there's some there's some upside swings on this list if you will and Tyron Smith is not that because the upside swing is yes he's very talented but there's huge downside in the fact that he just gets hurt way too often. I still think The
1: upside's there because, like, if he stays healthy, he's going to be the best tackle
2: in the division. I think. Oh uh, yes, but like, I'm it's just a to, huge floor ceiling. Yes. I think is the better. Yeah. Uh, I want to see how many offensive snaps. So he played 154 last year, but he did get to 882 the year before, and 981 right. the year before that, 758 the year before. So he is play- He's not playing full. Uh, compliment of snaps he hasn't done that I think since 2015 so he's always dinged up and hurt a little bit but last season was just you know abysmal because it's only I think he only played two games
1: yep yeah it's just been the reoccurring stuff it's like you said no full season since 2015 just tread on the tire starts to build up really in some ways hasn't even been that dominant player since 2015 it's still been great Mm -hmm. but not that same elite best tackle in the NFL. But enough to be the best tackle in the division. Let's move on to your interior offensive line where we are going to find our first disagreement. So let's start with the guards and move on to the center.
2: Yeah, so the the center is an interesting one. That's the upside pick that I was uh, talking about, but we'll start with the guards. And uh, I went with Zach Martin and Brennan Sheriff, who I feel like are the... The duo at guards that that need to be on this list. Zach Martin can play all over the offensive line. Since he came into the league in 2014, he's been a top five interior offensive lineman basically every single season. He got dinged up last year when he was kicked out to right tackle. Dallas, their offense last year was just decimated by injury, which is something that I feel like we may be overlooking as Giants fans, but Mm -hmm. you get a healthy Tyron Smith back, you get a healthy Zach Martin back, you get Dak Prescott back. I mean, that's a scary, potent offense right there with all those weapons that we were talking about before, and Michael Gallup's not even on this list and neither is Zeke and then you have Tony Pollard but anyways Zach Martin has to be on this list as a left guard and then at right guard I went with Brandon Sheriff who's also coming out of Iowa one of the best interior offensive linemen in the league that I feel like a lot of people don't talk about because he plays for Washington but I feel like that's the easy guard guard right there do you want to weigh in on that before we get into the center
1: yeah we could weigh in on this I mean this is spot on there's if if you're building an all NFC East team you can't essentially go with any other guard besides maybe brandon brooks who so i do love brandon brooks from the eagles he's good but he's not brandon sheriff like if you no. and he was injured he come up with a bad injury from last yes year too. and he's older too and has dealt with injuries in the past but these are the guys like there shouldn't be much of a debate here in my mind then sheriff is a player the giants have been interested in so many points they wanted him in the draft but washington made a big decision to take an interior guy that high similar to the nelson pick quinton nelson by the colts it worked out you know you have if you're going to make that swing i think with those interior guys same thing with what the jets did this year by they didn't take one in the top 10 like washington or uh indianapolis did but at the same time they traded up and they traded major capital to get uh vera tucker from usc so he has to basically be sheriff level quinton nelson level in my mind to be worthy of that pick and sheriff is and both sheriff and martin martin's the bet might be the best guard in the nfl as far as just like his ability to do anything like they kicked him out to tackle last year and he wasn't bad like he held his own at tackle he could play tackle if they need him to i bet if they needed to put put him at center he could play center as well so he's in my opinion probably the best guard i would want the most of anyone in the nfl right now zach martin
2: other than maybe quinton nelson oh yeah other than quinton nelson yeah because
1: yeah I shouldn't (laughs) that was stupid obviously Quentin Nelson's the 1-1 but and Wyatt Teller's in the mix as well you shouldn't discount what he's been able to do with Cleveland but these two guys are not only two of the best guards in the NFL uh, NFC East they're two of the best guards in the NFL. And so they're a big boost for both Washington and Dallas. But let's get to your center, because that's where we're going to have our first disagreement on the line.
2: Yeah, so I went with Nick Gates here. And again, this is for 2021, hoping that he takes another step forward in his progression with Rob Sale as his offensive line coach. And Jason Kelsey is the guy who definitely come to my mind. Chase, uh, I don't even know how to say his last name. Yeah, yeah. I know he has the... Uh, Now, the hockey thing, you know, going on. (laughs) Chase Rouye, he's another one who I really, really consider. But I'm kind of banking on upside here with Nick Gates. Because last year, I mean, I've just been going through some offensive film. He was on the ground a lot last year, but there are plays, especially in space, bro. When he's kicked out into space, when they did the double pullers with the center and the play side guard G lead type of plays, and he had to locate the safety coming downhill, a cornerback who was unblocked, he did, and he did really, really well on several different occasions. I was actually really surprised to see how many times he was able to do that. I think there are some athletic upsides to a player like Nick Gates, especially with his location skills out in space on screens and stuff like that so i'm hoping he takes that next step but i can easily hear any argument for ruye or uh jason kelsey because everything that they put together over the years i believe they are the better centers right now we're just hoping that gates kind of takes that step forward
1: correct yeah i like gates a lot i feel like we talked all last season about how high i was on gates how high you were i mean I would watch the All-22 each week. We'd come back, and I'd be like, this was the best offensive line based on the Giants that week, and I don't see much I don't like. He's helping in pass protection. He's always helping out. He's always looking for work. He's nasty at times, Like and like you said, at times he's really, really good in space. But I think the pick here for me is definitely Chase Roulier, who had a breakout 2020 season that led to a four-year, $40.5 million contract from Washington this offseason to reward him. For his play, he allowed just 15 total pressures per PFF. Was also excellent as a run blocker. I think it was this really steal of a pick by Washington. Got him out of Wyoming in the sixth round a few years back. I think 2015 or 2017, one of the two. I uh let me double check that just to get the exact year on him. But yeah, it was a 2017 draft pick 199 they stole him at they were they were disciplined they were patient with him and he really really developed in scott turner's system last year with a breakout season i think going into 2021 still in scott turner's system he's going to be an even better player i think he he will he has solidified himself in my mind as the best center in the division but he will continue to be but i also would put jason kelsey over nick gates i still think kelsey offers he was, one of the, once again, one of the best run blocking centers in the NFL. He's not the pass blocker he used to be Kelsey. He has injuries, but though he played a, a good amount of snaps last year. But he offers something that no one else in this division offers at the center position, and that's the ability to block in space and get to the second level. These guys can do it, like you said, Gates, Ruye as well. But no one can do it at his level because of his natural athleticism.
2: I feel like Gates is better at doing that when he's kicked out into space and not as much on those ace blocks, Mm. those combo and climb blocks, where he has to locate the linebacker. Sometimes he's a little bit slow to get off of that first initial transition with the guard, and by that time the linebacker has already kind of committed himself to his run fit, and it's a little bit more difficult uh, for Gates to get that guy out of the way. Whereas Kelsey is much better in that specific situation, which is very, very important on inside zone duo type of runs
1: yeah so maybe it's just that he's just so much better getting to the second level and not just in gates and really anyone in this division and most centers in the nfl that's what made kelsey what he is in the nfl but he's older so i can understand putting gates over him um i still think for this 2021 season he'll be the better center than gates time will tell but I would go Ruye first for sure.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair.
1: And then your swing offensive line, your swing, you went with the tackle here. Who'd you go with?
2: I went with Andrew Thomas, and that's because I feel like Andrew Thomas, who is a tackle, I'm not saying he's not, but on this theoretical team, he could be moved inside and be a pretty dominant guard, a really, really strong type of guard if that if something were to happen to one of the interior uh, offensive lineman but at the same time I wanted to add a tackle because Tyron Smith is on the team and I think Andrew hmm. Thomas does have some upside I mean I looked at Washington I mean they got Charles Leno they drafted Samuel Cosme and, uh, the, the other guy uh, Jerron Christensen I think is their other or did they actually end up releasing him no Cornelius Lucas yeah they ended up releasing the kid they drafted out of Louisville not that long ago so I I'm not really confident with Washington and what they have. I thought about Lyle Collins, even though he's coming off an injury. I think that's a really solid pick as well. Something that I could hear arguments about. But since this is for 2021, hope the development of Andrew Thomas leads this decision to be the right decision by the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with Lyle Collins on this one. I think he'll be back and basically himself. He's already proven himself as one of the best tackles in the NFL in my mind. And Andrew Thomas hasn't gotten there just yet. Nope. Even over those last, you know, the game we talk about that last second half of the season. I don't think at any point during that stretch he did anything. He he had the same kind of production La'El had for you know a long period of time. And in a lot of ways, I kind of feel like they're similar prospects to me. They're both going to, in my mind, always be a little bit better in the run game than the pass game, which is not a bad thing, but just something to keep in mind. I would probably take Collins, but I can go with Thomas because that's more. It's an upside swing. Like Thomas should should be at worst the fourth best tackle in this division this year i think hopefully hopefully he should be at worst the fourth best tackle in this division i mean if you're taking someone at four overall in a tackle loaded class like the 2020 draft was he better be at least the fourth best tackle in his division by year two but i think he should so i can see that and get behind that
2: you know what though man i I really passed up on a guy who has a lot of experience at tackle and at guard and Mm. it really really you know I'm just kicking myself for it to be honest man that guy Eric Flowers plays for oh, Washington yeah. you know Eric that Flowers guy? out of
1: Miami yeah I, there's a lot of hate coming in for Flowers I've heard I don't know I don't watch enough Flowers film but I've heard he's better now I really don't know I know you watched a little bit obviously you didn't have time well, to watch it all so but. I
2: put like right after the last season I put a when he was playing for Washington, right. so it's was based off 2019 film, not his 2020 film with Miami, because a lot of people were saying, "Yeah, man, he's a good guard." He's not. He's just a big body who who's powerful, but he right. still he doesn't he doesn't do well with his hands. His feet are still kind of a mess. Only they're not exposed as much because he has a tackle to one side and the center. Right. He's still the same player. Only his lack of skill set is better at guard than it is at tackle yes. when he's in space.
1: I think that's fair, and I know you took some time to look into it and said that, I and mean, it makes sense. I mean even in th- and even with that qualifier he's still probably not even that good in the role as a guard because there's no way Miami would trade him if he was still if they felt like they got him f- one year into signing him for a contract you don't trade a player if you believe in him or if you even liked watching the film that he had they probably looked at his film and said he's okay he's serviceable but he's not fitting what we even want to do from our blocking scheme and we just would like to move on from him and they did they moved him back to Washington which will be interesting cuz Washington feels like they got a decent buy there i think Helps them solidify a little bit of that offensive line. They also added Cosme, as you said, who's a prospect I kind of like. I feel like he's got smooth feet.
2: And they drafted Sadiq Charles, yeah, the kid out of LSU in the fourth round last year. We so liked
1: had, him last year.
2: Yeah, long-armed kid, who yep. moves
1: pretty well. Saw the upside there. So they have some talent there for sure. I think you did a great job with this NFC, all NFC's team, Nick, on the offensive side of the ball. We're going to wrap up there with the offense, and we'll do another one on the defense shortly after this, which might drop a few days later, who knows. But thanks again for tuning in to Big Boo Banter Podcast. As usual, if you want to help us out, head to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Head to Instagram, follow us, NYBigBlueBanter. And then lastly, please, please, please do us a favor and follow our YouTube page, BigBlueBanter. Type that in the search bar. We have some new reviews coming in on the iTunes. Leave us a review when you rate us, and if you ask a question, they will answer it. We're going to answer those on the next pod when we break down the defense, the NFC's defense team. Until then, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk
2: to you soon.